Hello Magic Seekers and welcome to Turns Out She's a Witch. We're your hosts Tracy and Shannon and welcome to our podcast coven. beautiful podcast coven. I'm so happy to be back with you this week and with me today is the lovely Laura. Hi everybody. And we are joined by a very special guest indeed, one whose work I have followed for many years now and this wisdom is so very needed in the world now more than ever before. This incredible woman is self-described as a postmenopausal grandmother at the sunset of her life, a former registered nurse who worked in paediatric intensive care units and women's operating theatres. She became a midwife but left the hospital system and was a home birth midwife for 30 years. She travels teaching workshops on the wisdom of cycles, the spiritual practice of menstruation, preparation for menstruation for mothers and daughters, and the sacred shamanic dimensions of pregnancy, birth, mothering, and menopause, and how to reclaim and heal the rites of passage. She created the School of Shamanic Womancraft, formerly the School of Shamanic Midwifery, in 2009, and her mission is to reclaim feminine knowledge, wisdom, and power through reconnection with the women's mysteries. The author of many books and tools of deep wisdom and healing, may I introduce to you all Jane Hardwick Collings. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shannon and Laura. It's lovely to be here with you in your coven circle. And I might just add that another way that I say what my mission is, is to wake up the witches. Oh, I love perfect. that. <laughs> and that is absolutely perfect for our podcast because that's what we're all about as well. Yeah, imagine that. That's what we're working toward, right? All the witches awake. Yep. Definitely, definitely. So first of all, Jane, I would love to know what is shamanic womancraft? Well, lovely question. Great question. So as you said in the introduction, the School of Shamanic Womancraft started being by being called the School of Shamanic Midwifery, which I feel gives it a much easier understanding, you know, like it's a bit more obvious what that means. And I had to change it because the government here in Australia told me that if I didn't change it, I would um, be getting fines for thirty to sixty thousand dollars every time it appeared anywhere. And so, you know, don't take on the government and risk those (laughs) kinds of fines. So I changed the name, and actually, it really served well because more women came thinking, "Oh, it's not just about having babies." So, Mm. which it's not about just having babies at all. So midwifery, that are, the term midwifery, shamanic midwifery, was using midwife in its most original term, which means with woman, facilitation, mid, to midwife is a verb, it means to facilitate, but the role of the traditional role of the midwife was from womb to tomb. So mm. the government owns the term midwife. And so oh, wow. you I wasn't aware use, of that. Yeah, it's a protected term, that's how they say it. 
and mm -hmm. that you can only use it if you are registered and therefore controlled by them. So I was registered at the time because I was a midwife, but I am no longer registered anymore. But so in the change to shamanic womancraft, as I said, heaps more women realised that they could be part of it. And, you know, you could change that term womancraft with another word that starts with W, which I was going to, and I was just going to say the school of shamanic witchcraft. But I thought <laughs> I <I'm> nice. love <laughs> it. <laughs> but it's the same thing. So basically yeah, yeah. what shamanic womancraft is, is it's, it's actually a modality, you know, like we have insurance for this modality when you're a practitioner of it. So it's a modality. And it's a modality that has grown from the school of shamanic womancraft which is actually the continuation of the lineage, the lineages that I represent. And the term shamanic womancraft and shamanic midwifery comes from my teacher. So the school of shamanic womancraft and the modality of shamanic womancraft is the lineage that I represent from Janine Pavadi Baker, who is now dead. She died in 2005, not very old, 65, I think. And, um, she was an amazing woman. And if anybody who's interested in any of this work doesn't know who she is, go find her. She's, like, amazing. And she she taught me about shamanic midwifery. I learned, I, I saw the term advertising a pre-conference workshop that I was going to, a midwives workshop over in Texas back in the 90s, and uh, I couldn't resist that workshop, shamanic midwifery, because I was already a midwife. Mm -hmm. And I was already learning about shamanic work and doing vision quests and sweat lodges and circle work and all that. And so Janine helped me put my two favourite things together, so shamanism and midwifery. So that's the backstory. But what the modality of shamanic womancraft is, is it's a map or a way of deep earth and body connection. It's mm -hmm. the way of the earth keeper and the birth keeper. And what that looks like is we focus in on various maps that are running our lives, whether we realise it or not. And the main one is our rites of passage. So shamanic womancraft is rites of passage healing work and conscious rites of passage for the future, you know. So you heal mm -hmm. the ones you've had and you bring more consciousness to the ones that await you or await your family, your children, etc. And shamanic womancraft also is all about the menstrual cycle and healing menstrual shame and encouraging and teaching the spiritual practice of menstruation as opposed to the dominant culture's perspective of keeping things hidden and pretending it's not happening because otherwise we wouldn't be equal to men because <laughs> equality between the sexes means that women can do what men can do right? But anyway, that's a whole other story. Another <laughs> part of shamanic womancraft is healing our child, childhood trauma and mining it for the gold, so to speak. So finding the gifts in the wounds and the trauma that we experienced that ended up making us who we are. So mm. it's, a, it's also another way, because I do private sessions, the school teachers offer private sessions in, in, with the modality. And what it looks like is making a map of our of the person's life so far and looking at the pattern and the theme that's been created by the experiences they've had of their rites of passage, particularly their birth, their first period or menarche, their first sexual experience, and then every pregnancy, even miscarriages, which we should be calling 
early pregnancy loss, not miscarriage, because that implies yeah. something wrong with the mother. So early pregnancy losses and abortions all result in a birth. So mm. rather than hide those away or pretend they don't happen, we incorporate all of these birthing experiences as being the teachers to us because every birth is our teacher. So there's a lot of putting the, putting the stories of our lives together like in a jigsaw puzzle of what led to what. So it's basically about figuring out the trajectory that you're on from what's happened before and what you need to do to heal that so that it doesn't happen again. So how you bring consciousness to what's going on in your life through understanding what a rite of passage actually does. And we're going to talk about that a bit later. But mm -hmm. rites of passage, uh, well, I'll, I'll keep that for later. But <laughs> it's working with rites of passage <laughs> and it's using, using some other maps. So it's creating a map using other maps and the most in, uh, particular map or significant map that we use is the wisdom of the cycles. So, mm. you know, it's the fact that there is a cycle, right? It's not like our patriarchal culture would have us imagine that we just go, 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 you know, you just go, 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 and you end up where we are, which is pretty fucked, right? So yeah, when you exactly. the cycles, <laughs> when you honour the cycles, then there's a whole other thing that happens called rest and rejuvenation mm. and replenishment and regeneration. So patriarchal culture wants to kind of avoid all of that because it's all about growth and honouring the masculine, not the feminine, because the feminine is the cyclicality. So we use the wisdom of the cycles as a map and a framework to understand where we are in whatever thing we're doing at any particular moment, therefore what's happening next and therefore what we can do to prepare or whatever. And we use what's called the myutic method, which <clears throat> is called the way of the midwife. And it's a way of asking questions such that you help the person you're helping to, to um, find what's within them, the information that they already know. It helped, The myutic method helps the person being helped to draw out their inner knowing. So it's 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 actually a, a revolutionary act because it's about relying on yourself instead of an expert. So it's it's part of of uh, returning the power to the person and not implying that someone else knows what's best for them. But the myutic method is about facilitating the process of the person remembering what they know or putting things together so they know that. And the other big part in shamanic womancraft is working with our red thread or mother line, which is uh, which is how our how the generational trauma is passed down from mother to daughter to daughter to daughter to daughter, to daughter forever, and it's all unconscious, and it just requires somebody to say, "Whoa." This stops with me. I'm going to do the inner work required to stop this unconscious passing on of whatever it is that's running in that line. So that's what shamanic womancraft is. Oh, that's I love it. A lot. It's, it's so deep. Very much. And it's so deep, which is, is what shamanic means. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, sh so let me explain shamanic. So, you know, like as an adjective of the kind of womancraft, so womancraft, craft of the woman, you know, so mm -hmm. cyclicality, yep. et cetera. So shamanic as a description of the style of womancraft means that it's the, it takes into account all the dimensions 
around it. So it, it takes into account what happened before, what happened, what happens during, what happens after. So what what everything that is related to the experience. So it draws on the idea of what the the worldview of shamanism is, which is basically the interconnectedness of everything. Mm-hmm. And that everything is is has a has something valuable and valid to offer whatever's going on. So it's the depth and breadth of the experience. Wow. Such a massive perspective, isn't it? That's incredible. And do you feel at this point in time there's more women seeking this this kind of thing in their lives and seeking to heal like their ancestral lines? It seems to me that everyone is kind of waking up that this is a thing that, um, you know, ancestral trauma and and this healing needs to be done. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the ways we see that happening is particularly around the menstrual cycle and particularly around menarche or first periods because there's women, you know, probably like you two, if you have daughters and you don't mm-hmm. want them to have the same experience that you had, you know, which would probably be the most common experience at Menarch is like, here's the pads, they're in the drawer. Don't let anybody know you're bleeding. Keep it to yourself. Carry <laughs> on regardless and pretend it's business as usual and whatever you do, don't leak or you'll shame us all. So <laughs> uh, that is ridiculous and mm-hmm. not something that's possible to maintain. So part of this waking up that's happening are mothers realising they want to change the story for their children. So that's one thing. But the other thing is this, as you said, the ancestral trauma, because I think I think each generation thinks the one before them was a bit, you know, backward or whatever. That that seems to happen every generation, regardless of how backward or forward anybody is. So I think that there is always this impulse to go further or deeper or higher or whatever than what happened before, which is the point, right? You know, there's a wonderful saying from Khalil Gibran, that we we stand, our children stand on our shoulders. So mm. we want that to happen, you know. We, we want them to go the next level. So Yeah, evolutionary so growth. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely, in every way. So so in that way I think that the waking up to the ancestral trauma is, is part of that. But also I think that psych, psychology and psychiatry and medicine are actually catching up and, they're you know, they've had this outrageous realization that 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 the mind affects the body and, <laughs> and um it must you know, happen sooner or later <laughs> they must try and catch up <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you know with understanding that and also the other big thing that's happening now is is the awareness of trauma you know so there i don't know if you've seen that wonderful new movie called the wisdom of trauma but if yeah. you haven't you've got to go and find it and everybody who's listening because it's so fantastic and it basically is part of this other thing that's happening where the people who are helping people, so the healers, the psychologists, the psychiatrists and other practitioners are realising how impactful trauma is and how we store it in our body and how it affects everything. So I think with, with more maps like that, People just don't think, oh, something wrong with me. They think, ah, so this is happening to me because of what happened before yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Joining the dots more and exactly. more. Exactly. Yeah. So that's definitely happening in terms of the waking up. But the other thing I think that's happening is a- around the pandemic 
you know, like with wherever anybody's been, there's been a big wake-up call around power and who has it and who doesn't and who wields it and how and and all of that. And I think that the pandemic has exposed the patriarchy, the worst parts of the patriarchy, Mm -hmm. the power over, the domination and all of that. And therefore that triggers everybody with a hot button around that kind of stuff. (laughs) And so they they that happens. And the other thing too, I think that people have seen in the various experiences they've had around the world around lockdown or stay at home or whatever, that the the pace has shifted. Sorry, the pace has shifted. Not for everybody, because obviously there's been some people who are busier than ever, but in the main, there's been this slowing down. A stop and, and erase it. Yeah. And people mm. are like, whoa, what a novel concept. <laughs> and so connect that that's like an invitation to the cycle really that that mm. this is actually part of it not something that you just do when you have to so i think that there's definitely the waking up happening and not a moment too soon to be fair like oh. really and if you think about what's actually going on behind the pandemic or not even behind on top of and in front the climate emergency that we're in mm. like you know that's that's a situation that we are slowly some some people haven't even woken up to it yet some people have been awake for ages around it but that's a result of the way we have lived our lives in this patriarchy where we haven't lived it in a cyclical way we've mm. just burned hard you know we live in a capitalist patriarchal culture whose focus is growth and you can't just keep growing it's not possible what happens is the situation we're in and what I love so much, which is is the, you know, part of the basis of shamanic womancraft, is that the clues for how to live an earth honoring and sustainable lifestyle, which is where we all have to go, right? The clues for how to do that are hiding in plain view in the self care required for the menstrual cycle. Mm. Classic. That. It you is. know, the, that what I, you know, all these things are coming out. So vaccination, Nature. vax or not, mm. is going to bust everything apart. And yeah. the answer is to live like you've got a menstrual cycle. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Ooh, witches cackles. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> so one thing that really caught my eye on your website is this statement, which is my tribe. Warrior queen is my station, midwife is my role. Like that is so incredibly powerful. And it leads me into the question I always ask our guests, <laughs> what does the word witch mean to you? Oh, I think it's one of my favourite words, to be fair. But what it <laughs> means to me is wise woman. Yes. It means wise woman. It, and what I mean by that is she is awake, she is aware she is in tune with the cycles, be that of the moon, the earth, her blood, her life, and she works with the forces of nature mm. and lives intentionally. So that's what I would say. And, you know, men can be witches too, so it's not something that's necessarily a woman, but mm-hmm. in terms of a woman, and that's where it probably came from in the first place anyway, I, you know, it's wise woman. And It also used to mean all the different ways you can be that wise woman. So herbalist, midwife, healers, that kind of thing. So someone awake, aware and in tune. I 
love that. And I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing to add. (laughs) Exactly. And how important is ceremony and ritual to you personally? And has it always been a part of your life? Yeah, it has. It really happened in earnest when we as a family moved to the country from the city back in the early 90s and we lived off grid in the bush pumping water up from the creek solar power before there was such a thing wow and and i was a home birth midwife in the rural area so i really got to be immersed in nature and the elements and the cycles so it became so much more obvious to mark it with the various ceremonies and and rituals at the sabbats you know the mm-hmm. the seasonal festivals and also with the moon and my menstrual cycle and that so ceremony was such a common thing in our family and such that it was ceremony was the c word in our family and the children would go oh not another ceremony <laughs> So boring. So boring. We had to do another ceremony. You're so embarrassing. <laughs> so, but what that actually turned into was community making, of course. Mm. You know, so I was uh, the foundational, one of the foundational members, creators of our, our local community here where I live now. I'm much less involved in it now. I, I was involved for a decade and a bit and then I started doing travelling and other things and the community still goes and we called it Earth Dance and we mm. would gather every Sabbath and it would be children and parents and whoever else and we would do particular rituals and ceremonies at each of the Sabbaths that were relevant and everybody got to realise, oh, Halloween isn't on October 31st yeah. in the Southern <laughs> Hemisphere, you know, that kind of waking up. Yeah. And the other thing that we used to do within that those ceremonies for the honouring the seasons were the rites of passage. So we honoured mm. rites of passage for everybody in the community. So wow. what that one of the best ones we did, I mean, you know, we would have mother blessings for pregnancies and uh, marga ceremonies for the menopausal women and and um the, the one that was just so precious, I mean, they're all precious, but were the menarch rituals, the menarch ceremonies for the girls mm. and the puberty rites for the boys. Wow. So once a year we would gather at, at Beltane specifically for we would do the, the menarch rites of passage for all the girls whose period had come that year and the puberty rite for the boys who'd all turned 13 around that time. And it it was so beautiful and, like, you know, a community experience where the the boys were taken off by the men into the bush and they did their rite of passage with a, you know, a a safe risk-taking process. Oh, really? Which is what boys need for their rite of passage. And the girls were held in a circle with the mothers and all the other women and all the little kids who didn't go with the fathers and they were welcomed to womanhood in a mm. most beautiful ceremony with all red everywhere and gifts and wishes and teachings about the menstrual cycle. And it was, it, they continue to do this now, that, that community, oh, okay. and, and it's just such a beautiful thing. So ceremony and ritual all the time, all the time, so important. 
it marks it, it makes something important yeah. yeah and it should be important and I think I just love what, how you were describing holding those young teenagers like that in that space because being a teenager is so awkward at times isn't it and <laughs> like I know my daughter's 14 and there's days where you can just see she's really struggling with hormones and struggling to know her place in the world whether it's with friends or at school or her body changing and things like that so to have your whole community around you to see you and to support you like that just yeah. and must so be so important. incredible because mm. the thing is it's 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 about honoring a rite of passage and if we don't honor a rite of passage whatever happens is the rite of passage mm. it happens regardless sure. doesn't exactly. it exactly yeah. yeah and the teachings happen which we'll get into but what i wanted to say about this menarch honoring ritual that we did and they do still is that it shifted menstrual shame in a generation. So what we yeah, saw wow. was the, the littler girls, you know, like the seven, eight-year-old, nine, ten, whatever, would watch the big girls, the 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds, and they would all be part of the ceremony. And it made them see that it was a beautiful thing. It was yeah. an, an honourable thing. And so these kids were growing, these girls were growing up not, not, not not knowing what it was, yeah, and not mm. not being and, and not being scared, but thinking, oh, I can't wait until it's my time. And you know, we could hear them say yeah. things like, well, "I hope we get our periods together so we can do this ceremony oh. together." You know, <laughs> so, so sweet. That's very different. That's yeah, very different yeah. to the mainstream, and it's very different to what that was for their mothers. Yeah, and very different to what the children who were going through this their peers at school were experiencing but the shift happened you know so yeah. if it if if those girls grew up thinking oh this is actually a good thing yeah wow that changes the world it absolutely. really does yeah, and then you can absolutely. only imagine how incredible that energy is going to be by the time they have children too exactly like, which was wow. actually the point for me so mm-hmm. as a midwife as a home birth midwife for decades what i realized is in helping women having their babies, so serving as a priestess at the birth altar, often it was too late for them to change all the way they think and behave when they're having a baby because menarche leads to childbirth. So your experience of your menarche plays out when you give birth. Wow. So the place to really change birth is at menarche. So that's what stimulated me to focus on the menstrual cycle and to focus on honouring girls' menarche because if a girl is welcomed into her womanhood in 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 an empowering and honouring and joyful way, like just like a newborn is hardwired to expect when it's born its mother's going to look after it, like duh, a girl is also hardwired to expect when she comes to her menstrual cycle and before actually, her mother or mother equivalent is going to teach her all about the menstrual cycle and not just about the nuts and bolts, but how to work with it, how to what it means, how to honour her body with the signs of this and the signs of that and how to manage the blood and blah and blah and blah. So she's hardwired to expect that's going to happen. And, you know, that isn't what's happening. No. And ha- isn't what has happened. But when when these girls have this experience like what I'm sharing with you now, they're going into womanhood prepared. They're yeah. like, okay, I understand now 
this is not a this is not a scary mystery. So they they go into their menstrual cycle going, okay, I can work with this. Now I'm ovulating, so that's the time I do all the things I need to do out in the world. I'm bleeding, I can take that time to rest and use my intuition and blah and blah and blah. They practice that, they get to know their body and what happens, and then they come to have a baby. There's no way in the world they're going to roll over when somebody says, I'm the expert, I know your body better than you, you do what I say. She's going to say, how the fuck could you know your my body better than me? I've been <laughs> menstruating consciously for the last decade and I know how my body speaks to you. I don't think it's speaking to you. Leave me to it. You can sit over there or I'll call you when, you, when I need you, you know. So that's how we change birth. The women mm. that go to birth are in their power rather than, you know, that's actually not what they are now. So it's about trusting their body, isn't it, from, from menstruation right through to giving birth, trust, trust trusting trust and knowing it, you yeah. know, yeah. like listening to it. Yeah. Listening to the body because that's how your body talks to you mm. with what you need to change or do differently or add or subtract is through the physical sensations or symptoms, if you like. Yeah. So you offer a huge variety of programs, retreats and workshops, and one that caught my eye is the Four Seasons Journey. So can you please tell us a bit more about this? Yeah. It's a lovely thing, although I think that a lot of women would never say it was a lovely thing while they were doing it necessarily. <laughs> but it's it's basically a year, well, actually, because of COVID right now, we're still trying to finish the ones that started in the end of 2019. So it's been longer than a year. (laughs) Wow. But the plan is that it's over a a year, four seasons, and it's kind of like a year-long women's circle. And it involves home study and, you know, research and work that you have to do to to learn different things and six face-to-face gatherings. So it's it's a group that starts together and goes through the journey together. And it starts with an opening gathering and everybody makes a drum, so a frame drum. And in the process, so that becomes their tool, their medicine drum that they use throughout, well, forever after that. But in the process of making the drum, they relive or experience their birth imprint. So how, how you're born stays with you forever. And it plays out when you birth things. So I'm, I'm saying birth in inverted commas. So it doesn't mean that how you're born is necessarily how you give birth, but the pattern of your birth is something that is with you forever and pl- often plays out when you're in the creative birthings, like so, like in this case, birthing a drum. So the, we everybody births a drum and then they, they find their animal ally or power animal and their guides and teachers for the journey and they meet each other and big introductions and stuff. So straight into shamanic drum journeys and stuff, things like that. And then there's the full moon gathering, where which is on a full moon, and we work with that part of the cycle, the fullest, the peak part of the cycle. And we work with our animal allies or power animals during that one and we do a deep dive into our childhood trauma and we we use a Jungian process called the sacred wound, which is where you render the childhood trauma sacred by asking it, what did this teach me? 
about myself? How did this make me who I am? What default behaviors did this create? What superpowers did this create? And how to work with that and use the power animal in that way. And we also have a full moon dance that night under the full moon and everybody makes a mask in the likeness of their power animal and, and we each invoke our power animals and then go and have a big dance to our drums under the full moon. So that's pretty epic. Wow, then, sounds amazing. <laughs> then, then the next one is the dark moon gathering. So we focus on the dark or the, the descent and... We work, we, we work with the myth of Inanna, so the ancient Sumerian goddess of Inanna, and there's a story about her where she goes into the underworld. So we, we ceremonially reenact a willful and chosen descent into the underworld, and that's huge, as you mm, can imagine. Yeah. And then following that is the wilderness solo or vision quest. So that's like a nine- or ten-day camp. We all go somewhere. And we live as a tribe for a week and a half, just us doing everything. And in the middle of that week, all the women who are doing the journey go out into the bush on their own for three days and three nights and fast, drinking water, and have this supported alone time in nature. And then they come back. So there's the three days or so preparation three days on their own, and then three days integration. And then that's, wow. that, and that's a life changer. That's like a, that's wow. huge. Yeah. And, and a traditional rite of passage, actually, in most cultures. And then a moon after that, we have a debrief because one of the main things after a vision quest or wilderness solo is don't make any big changes for at least a moon. You know, you okay. have to live through a okay. cycle. So rather than go home and sell your house straight away, yeah. <laughs> don't go home and divorce your husband or sell your house straight away. Wait a moon. And then advice <laughs> for everything, really. And then see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> and then we finish the year with the closing gathering where it's a big integration process and, and sharing and stuff. And also within that year, the Four Seasons journey is to attend six one-day workshops which are given by teachers and me and these are basically not just the Four Seasons Journey women going it's also other women and the the three workshops so you can do these you don't have to do the Four Seasons Journey to do these and this is often how women find their way yeah. to the Four Seasons Journey so the one of the workshops is called Moonsong and it's all about the men, um, wisdom of the cycles and the menstrual cycle and there's one called the shamanic dimensions of pregnancy so that's all about that. And not just pregnant and birthing of humans, you know, like plenty of women mm. don't have human babies, but they conceive, well, we all, we all conceive, gestate and birth all manner of things besides human babies. So that's yeah. all part of that. Yeah. And then the other one day workshop is Autumn Woman Harvest Queen, which is about harvesting the transformational powers of menopause and all about the becoming a maga. So those six one day, so two times each of the three happen as part of the Four Seasons journey as well. So a lot of women do it to just do their personal inner work, which will happen whether you want it to or not, but many <laughs> women do it as a adjunct to what they're already doing, you know, to be able to bring more menstrual cycle awareness to their work as a whatever, you know, yeah. or the ceremonial aspects of it to learn about goddess archetypes or 
So many women come to it because they want to do the wilderness solo, the vision quest. And so many women mm. don't come to it because they don't want to do the vision quest. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds hardcore. It is hardcore, but it's also hardcore in whatever your hardcore is. Yeah. You know, mm. like we don't have rules around the wilderness solo or vision quest. So like, for example, if you need to eat because your metabolism needs you to eat or because you're pregnant, then you eat and we help yep. you, we support you to eat on your on your solo days. Or if you if you don't want to go away far from, so we have like a base camp and then yeah. everybody goes out and finds their places where they are alone. And some women don't want to go very far. They want to just be able to see base camp still. So we just support everybody in whatever their edge is. We don't define the edge. Mm-hmm. You know, we okay. say like, how how far do you can we support you going here for example you know yeah sometimes women come back in and sleep in base camp and go back out for the day you know whatever and there's no failure you know it's just about meeting the edge that you decide is the edge so giving that power to people so hardcore if you want it to be <laughs> but even for people for women for whom being so like a lot of women have never even been alone in their lives yeah yeah you know yeah. so just being alone can be an edge. Definitely. So yeah. true. I can't even, I don't think you'd ever go through that experience coming out the same person, I think. Um, well, you don't. That's exactly it. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a rebirth, definitely a For rebirth. Sure. But the major magic that happens is the connection to the earth. Mm. So it's and kind of like a three-day, that's it, it's a three-day conversation yeah. with the earth and the That'd ants and the birds and the trees and the whatever, I mean, the whole thing. And no distractions. Beautiful. No distractions. Yep. And listening like, to yourself within that. Yeah. Exactly. Amazing. Exactly. And there's a big preparation for it too. Yeah. You know, so we could say that everything that went before that in the wilderness solo, so the make your drum, because they take their drums with them. And often women do ju- ju- do drum journeys themselves out when they're doing their solo. So they've already know who their power animal is and that's an ally and, you know, they're guides and teachers and they're doing all this other work around cycles. So they're very well resourced mm. with tools and things and, and they understand what their childhood trauma is and, and what what that means and how that, how that um, can continue to terrify them or whatever. So they're not going out there unprepared. And no. we're, we're all on the end of a walkie-talkie in base <laughs> okay, camp. Yep and able to answer everybody if they need any help at any point. There's still that lifeline there just in case. If Absolutely. Feels like, yeah, they need that connection. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So there's honestly so many topics I could go into with your wealth of knowledge, but I think we'll definitely have to get you back on the podcast next year for sure. Yes, please. Yes, but today, <laughs> but today I wanted to ask you about the Harvest Queen time of our lives. So many of our listeners would be familiar with the term of the triple goddess, so the aspects of maiden, mother and crone, but can you please tell us about this evolution of the triple goddess and the addition of Marga into this? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is probably one of the biggest things that I've brought, and obviously I haven't brought this on my own, but I'm talking about it all the time. And um so maiden mother crone comes from a, a, a long time ago. It's an ancient story. It comes from the time when we were mothers by the age of 14, grandmothers by the time we were 35, and dead by the time we were 50, 45 or 50. 
you know. And if you reached menopause, average age 50, if you reached menopause before you died, then you must be pretty close to death. So unfortunately <laughs> wow. that that has that particular perspective has carried on into our current times. Like, you know, <laughs> if you reach menopause, it's all over and you must be about to die and what's the use of you? You just but, become invisible. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So so now we live till 100, shall we say? Yeah. Because that's yeah. easy maths. And mm-hmm. but anywhere, you know, I think the average age for a woman in the in a um, in the Western world is like eighty five or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so we now live way beyond menopause. So that menopause is like halfway, not the end, halfway. And so when we go into menopause, so previously menopause was the initiation into Crohn. Yeah. Whereas now we live longer, so we don't go straight to crone. We actually have an autumn season and crone is the winter. So maiden is the spring, mother is the summer, maga is the autumn and crone is the winter. And so the, the effect that this information has had on women either just before menopause or in it and just after is like, oh, phew. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a, a whole other season before I'm the winter crone. And it's so true, you know, like women going through their menopause at 50, you know, basically 45 to 55 is the kind of range for natural menopause, you know, surgical or chemical menopause can happen whenever and premature even younger and that, but that's rare. But the thing about menopause is that, when you go through it, if your mother is still alive and she's, you know, maybe she's like 70 or whatever, she's a crone, right? But you can tell that women were able to tell that they were younger than their mothers or their grandmothers maybe even, I don't know. So so this term Marga came to me from one of my teachers, Cedar Barstow in America, and I was visiting her when I was in my 40s and she was 10 years older than me, so she was going through it all. And she said that her community, who were many of the women were around the same age, they they went through into menopause and they said to each other, we're not crones. <laughs> we, 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 we're not crones. We are something before that, something mm. after mother and before crone. And they called, they gave the name Marga, as the female derivative of the male, the name for men at that stage, which is quite well known in in mythic terminology as magus, which means magician. And so they decided to use maga as the female derivative of magus. So unfortunately, there's been this huge bloody make America great again thing, which goes M-A-G-A. So maybe we need to change the name. God, that's unfortunate. Yeah, but there's lots of other names people use. Queen, Autumn Queen, um, Amazon, Grandmother, Enchantress. Um, I like Enchantress. Yeah, That's a good one. I like that one. Sorceress. <laughs> Ooh, oh, that's you know, a good like one too. It's, it's woman in her power. Yeah. Okay. You know, so it's it's the CEO version. Nice. It's, it's the boss witch. The yep. boss witch. Boss you know, witch. And, and so the thing about this is that um, it's the time of harvest, right? So 
it actually has a responsibility. And that is that you share your harvest. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm doing. I'm sharing my harvest. I'm sharing everything that I've learned. That's the point, right? Yeah. Because then you can help those coming behind you to prepare for what they're coming to because you've already experienced it. But the other thing that I want to say about this that is kind of like the backstory of why we need to reclaim this kind of thing is that um, evolutionary biologists have pondered the question, why would human females live beyond their fertility? What could possibly be the use of them? Oh, gosh. I know. How does that <laughs> make you feel? Yeah. Like, you know? It makes so, me laugh like how ignorant people are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, like, that's the judgment, right? And you said earlier, Laura, like menopausal women feel invisible. This is why they feel yeah. invisible because we live in a culture that is ageist, you know, like mm. it's a that growth pop, growth culture, blah, 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 so no rest, et cetera, et cetera. So when you, if you're post-menopause, then, you know, what use have you? So these evolutionary virologists actually turned to nature, which is what they would do, and what yeah. they discovered is that there are five mammals on the planet that go through menopause only five mammals oh wow yeah okay and so humans and the other four live in the ocean wow they're the toothed whales so they're the pilot whales the orcas or killer whales the belusia whales and the narwhals the unicorns of the sea yeah the toothed whales so they okay. all go through menopause wow. and, and stay alive and oh. so the evolutionary biologists like, why? What did they do? And guess what they are? They're the bosses. They're the leaders <sighs> of the pod. So there's the answer. The Absolutely. point of women living beyond their menopause is so that they rise up in their leadership and take leadership roles within their community because the post-reproductive menopausal grandmother whale, the fact that she exists means that her her sons and daughters live longer and her grandchildren thrive because she mm. remembers where the food is. She knows yeah. how to work with the, the currents and the this and the that. She's you know, wise. so so that's that's the the big thing I think that what is actually needed right now and mm. is being called for in the corporate world, to be fair, you know, like feminine leadership's qualities and styles is is what what cutting edge corporates are looking at now to to fix what's going on so feminine leadership and that can be men doing that too it just means things like collaboration and mm. and communication as opposed to overpowering and dominating Brene so, brown style yes exactly <laughs> so so what we need and uh postmenopausal women is one of the largest demographics in the western world so wow. if we wake up those witches, this is wow. part of my mission, wake up the grandmas. <laughs> yeah. You've got to wake up the grandmas. I've got this campaign going called the Grandma Army. And nice. I'm sorry if that offends anybody with its militaristic connotation, but I am an Aries moon and an Aries rising, and I am a warrioress. So nice. my, um, Grandma Army makes sense to me. But yep. So these are the women that if they are awake, and they are in their power, they're going to make shit so change. So part mm -hmm. of this waking the witches needs to be the, the postmenopausal witches who don't even realise they're witches. Yes. Hence the I podcast. Love... <laughs> oh, my God, I just got chills. Imagine. Wow. 
imagine, wow, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Well, it has to happen. Yeah. We're trying. We are. (laughs) I know, but, you know, like we've got to do more. We've got to wake up everybody. And I just love to quote um, Yoda spoke to, um, what's the boy's name? Luke. Mm -hmm. There is no try. There is do or not do. Yeah. <laughs> I love Never that. Never a wiser word said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we must do. We yeah. must. So within our Western culture in particular, there is so much fear around our changing bodies and ageing in general. And in your book, Her Story, you write, menopause is, a ne- is now a condition that rather be honoured can be avoided. It is seen as a dangerous, unwelcome series of symptoms, not the realm of the highly valued wise woman. And can you speak more to us about this? Mm. So we talked a little bit already about how women feel invisible in that rite of passage or feel useless and unvaluable and they look old because as soon as oestrogen drops away, then so too does the suppleness and the fullness of the skin and all the mucous membranes. So it's the ageing process. So there's just to, to preempt the actual menopause, I just want to describe what precedes it so that we get what it is. So at Menarch, so however old you were then, average age 13, a veil descends upon us. And it's the veil of oestrogen. <laughs> and oestrogen is known as the hormone of accommodation and the oh. hormone of sacrifice. <laughs> so we go through our menstruating years when we are the, the uh, when we're fertile and we are conceiving, gestating, birthing and need to nurture all manner of things, human babies and projects, businesses, careers, gardens, whatever. And we do so, so well and so willingly because we have this veil of oestrogen over us, which makes us prioritise the things we need to look after, the people we need to look after over ourselves. Everything else. <laughs> Everything else. So, But we are richly rewarded to, by, for this. It feels good, you know. It feels really yeah. good, you know. Like this veil of oestrogen, you, you first see it with the teenagers because they just want to look like everybody else. They want to fit in, mm. you know. So that's them accommodating themselves within a system you know they're sacrificing who they are so that they can look like everybody else and therefore be accepted etc but then through the mothering stage um there's like with this veil fully down it's like the most most uttered words are things like oh honey whatever you want it's okay let's do what's best for the children and yes no you have that I know I haven't eaten anything, but that's okay. You eat it. I'll have the burnt chop. (laughs) I'll have the burnt chop. Exactly, right? (laughs) So then at perimenopause, which is peri means around, so before menopause, which you never know when that's going to be, right, and you don't even know for years whether it was. Oh, wow. So, But in in the five or so years before it is going to be the period, that last period, this veil begins to rise so (laughs) as estrogen levels go down this veil begin begins to rise 
And the most uttered words are things like, how come I'm the only one who does anything around here? <laughs> so no more accommodation, no more sacrifice. So the thing is that the woman going into menopause, like it's like everything's changed for her. Mm. Like this veil of estrogen lifts and it's like, what the fuck am I doing? Where am I? Yeah. Yeah. And for many women, that's actually really confronting. And for every woman, it's like a reset. So menopause is like another labor and birth, and it can take a decade. And the birth is of the wise woman version of us, Mm. the autumn woman, the harvest queen. Now, we live in a culture that's ageist, as I said, and it's fixated on youth and beauty. So everybody from, I don't know, early 20s on is trying to look early 20s. Yeah, (laughs) true. (laughs) And the amount of plastic surgery and Botox and whatever else to make ourselves look like the age woman that our culture favours the best which is also twisted and weird from porn too because porn would also tell us that that hairlessness is oh yeah is um ideal but it's so weird and twisted because the only female who's hairless is pre-puberty yeah yeah so there's some very weird messaging going on there too true but back to this menopause woman so She's trying to look like a 25-year-old and it's not possible Mm. unless she stops menopause by overriding the process and keeps giving herself the hormones. Okay. Uh Because you can delay it. You can switch it off. You can stay in this limbo situation by taking the hormones and not going through the natural process of them declining and going into the second half of your life as an older woman, you know. So Dr. Christian Northrup's written a fantastic book called The Wisdom of Menopause. So I really suggest that for women to find out about it. But the thing is she calls it menopause the mother of all wake-up calls, you know. Like everything that's been swept under the carpet in your life comes out at menopause. Mm. It's, It's the... She says it's the um, rite of passage designed to heal all the unhealed parts of you. So 40 to 60% of divorces happen around menopause initiated by the women. Wow, that's huge. (laughs) And that says something, doesn't it? Yeah. And menopause (laughs) is the culmination. Yeah, it is. Menopause is the culmination, you know, like of your life so far. It's like everything, it's a reckoning. You know, it's equivalent to the end of summer and the beginning of autumn, you know. it's So autumn is the time when you've got to deal with your stuff. You've got to, you've got to see what's grown mm-hmm. and look after it or whatever. If it's weeds, you've got to get rid of it. And you've got to deal with your harvest, like how am I going to use this stuff or preserve yeah. it or, or whatever, you know. So it's a time of... of of complete they don't call it the change of life for nothing you know the woman doesn't even know who she's going to be because she 
she hasn't even run on that hormone cocktail before. The closest thing to how a woman feels postmenopausal or through the process is how she felt pre-menarch, before the veil. And often that's what happens, you know, because our culture doesn't support, you know, welcome the wise woman. It'd rather have her hide because she's old and a bit reminding us of age. But often what happens is women are in, um, can think about what they were interested in before menarche, like before the veil descended, and they often pick that up again postmenopausally as 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 an interest. Wow! And, and also the other thing, and I was taught this by Aboriginal Indigenous elder woman Min Maya, who's a Wiradjuri woman, and I had the opportunity to um, receive her wisdom. She called me to her and said, you need to know this. And I was asking lots of questions and writing notes. And I said to her, okay, what about menopause? And she said, oh, I don't know any women worthy of the rite of passage of menopause, curry or white. Everyone's just trying to be cougars. They're all trying to look young and pretend they're not getting old. She said, Everybody thinks that it's business as usual after menopause. It's not. It's a whole new role. The role of the postmenopausal woman is not to carry on like she did, but it's a new role to weave the dreams for the grandchildren. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true, though, isn't it? Yeah. And to me, what that means is do what I can to make sure that the great-grandchildren are going to have something to inherit that they can thrive on, you know, like mm. we, need to, we need to make sure that what we're passing on to our children is not the mess that we currently are. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yep. It's that wisdom experience from the growth, from that intentional growth. Yes. Yeah. So it's a much feared, much maligned rite of passage in our lives, but that's a clue. Because anything and everything to do with women or the feminine that's put down or hidden or made a joke of or feared is a clue that it holds power. Mm. Well, yeah, period. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it is a very powerful time. And when we when we have women moving into their menopausal, postmenopausal years knowing their power and value, then, you know, everything will be different. Well, mm. look out world. Mm. <laughs> it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be alive because it's getting more and more talked about, more and more acknowledged. Mm. Yeah, brought to the light and, yeah, and empowering women through that mm. and beyond it as well. It's mm. big work. It's very, very needed work. So how important are the rites of passage within our lives? Because, you you know, you've talked about the rite of passage of becoming a woman and then becoming the mother and becoming this postmenopausal woman as well. So Mm. they are so important. It's actually these are the places of transformation when we become the next version of ourselves. And as I mentioned already, if you don't have a rite of passage, whatever happens is the rite of passage Mm because our culture has forgotten to honor these so so whatever happens is the rite of passage and the worst example of that is teenage boys you know like when they're not welcomed into manhood 
in an honouring and empowering way. They go and figure out some way to prove their manhood with dangerous and risky behaviours like, you know, how many girls can I score? How pissed am I going to get? Or how fast can I drive this car? Or blah, blah, blah. And that becomes their rite of passage. And the thing about why it's so important is what a rite of passage does. So this is whether it's a conscious or not conscious, right? So whatever happens or doesn't happen, whatever is said or not said, and whatever is going on in the world around you, in your family or whatever, all of that teaches the person going through the rite of passage how their culture values the next role they're going into. So at menarch, it's womanhood. At childbirth, it's motherhood. At menopause, it's wise womanhood. So it teaches what happens, teaches the person going through it how their culture values that next role and therefore how you have to behave to be accepted by the culture in that new role, okay? So it's rites of passage create and reinforce culture. Mm. They create it by the mindset, beliefs, attitudes, and fears that the person going through the rite of passage adopts because of the experience, and it reinforces culture because everybody just goes along with that and conforms. And it's also the place to hack the culture. So as I mentioned also with those young girls watching the men arc of the older girls, they saw it as a positive thing. So that shifts the mindset that becoming a woman isn't like, oh, well, a curse actually yeah, <laughs> and all the rest, but actually something that is celebrated and honoured, you know, like that's what we want, right? Yeah. And all you need to do is look at the stats around birth intervention to see what's going on with women becoming mothers because what happens at a rite of passage is a message gets implanted into the mind of the person going through it about how to behave or how to be or what to value in yourself. And so just think about the the statistic of how many women uh, have their labours induced, right? So they don't start Mm -hmm. labour naturally because somebody's told them that um, there's a certain time you have to have a baby by, and if you don't, then whatever, which is, I don't agree with that. You know, there's all you have to do is dive a bit deeper into this and realise that a lot of the maternity care, a lot of the practices around obstetrics are not evidence-based, they're habits. And it takes years, decades sometimes for new things that have been proven to be adopted in practice. So a lot of what's going on around birth is not evidence-based, meaning that there have been new discoveries or realisations that prove that the way things are happening now are not okay. So induction of labour is a classic example of how it affects a woman at a rite of passage. So she gets the idea that, oh, um, I haven't gone into labour in the right time my body doesn't work properly. According to the experts, my body doesn't work. You know, I that was is one of those not, women. Yeah, okay. That is a, <laughs> yep. that's, and, and how did that affect your journey through to motherhood? Big time. I was only 20 when I had my son and I was six days overdue and induced, ended up with an emergency caesarean. And, yeah, like postnatal depression, another emergency caesarean with my second child, yeah, and yeah. then so on and so forth. So right. So that's yeah. not teaching you to trust your body. No, and I didn't. I remember um, 
clearly being in labour as well and with an induced labour, as you know, it's so much more intense and like every two minutes contractions were hitting me and I wasn't like eased into it. It was just all of a sudden, boom. And I remember after a certain point of time, just being absolutely exhausted and yeah, kind of going, this isn't working. I'm never going to have this baby naturally. Like I remember thinking that like, this isn't going to happen. And yeah, it's, I wish I could go back and tell that 20 year old, like, just be patient. Because I remember at the time, even being three days overdue thinking, oh my God, like, you know, come on, I just want to have a baby. And I know my a lot of very pregnant days ago. <laughs> yeah. And I know you do get really fed up when you're very, very pregnant, but I had no patience with my body or myself or my baby. I just wanted it you know, to yeah. happen when it was meant yeah. to on the yeah. date. <laughs> exactly. But you were told to expect it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. So it teaches just that very thing. And your experience, Shannon, is like highlights what what we can avoid. You know, mm. we do not want women going into motherhood thinking their bodies don't work. That's the worst thing because yeah. what we want, no matter what the birth experience, like emergency cesarean, elective cesarean, whatever, we want women to go into motherhood fully resourced and knowing that they have everything they need within them and that they are the mothers to their children and they know what to do. They don't need to have experts tell them. They need to access their inner knowing, you know, like stuff gets switched on when you have a baby. Ancient mammalian instinctual behaviours get switched on, but that's not valued because medicine and science is. So it's all screwed up and and that's how so that's how rites of passage work they they can they can be they can be really detrimental in that way mm. in that it but it teaches you how your culture values mother you know you've got to be on time someone else's agenda yeah. not yours do it this way because we can't trust you because you don't know but the experts know so blah 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 and mm. we've also seen through the pandemic that the, um, so the impact of what's going on in the world around you, not just your actual giving birth experience, like it's so with the restrictions that happened around birth with the pandemic, what we saw was a statement. So there were 10 people allowed to a funeral, mm. five people allowed to a wedding and zero to one allowed to a birth. I bottom of the imagine. barrel. You know, bottom of the barrel, mothers and birth doesn't matter. Like mm. that's pretty sad, and that's that's the culture. I can't even yeah. imagine giving birth alone. Like I just and with masks on, some of them. Oh no! And babies <laughs> taken away because you know, like we've seen the worst of the worst mm. in this, and I also think, yeah. how the culture doesn't care about that, doesn't value it. So we, so it's changing, right? But that's where it goes to in, in a crisis and that's terrible. But as I said earlier, the experiences we have in our rites of passage, like your birth experiences, Shannon, they're not a curse. Mm. There's something that happened because how we give birth, I really believe that we have the birth we need to have to teach us what we need to learn about ourselves to take us to the next place on our journey. So we can heal our previous rites of passage by delving into them and figuring out what it taught us about ourselves. Mm. So we can learn something by not doing it, you know, like so my first birth ended up with a cesarean as well and what that birth taught me was all about surrender because I didn't surrender. 
Mm. Right. But so then I learned about surrender and went into my next birth aware of surrender and had a vaginal birth after cesarean at home. And then I learned trust from that birth. And then I took surrender and trust to my third home birth, vaginal birth after cesarean. And I learned about the power of presence. So one leads to the next. And in un, in healing our previous rites of passage, so for the listeners who are still having babies, if you've had an experience like Shannon, then the opportunity is to do what's called in shamanism a shadow awakening, where you do what I was talking about for the sacred wound. You render that wound sacred by asking, how did this serve? What mm. did this teach me about myself? And then when you figure that out, Whatever you learn from birthing a baby is the quality you need to bring to mothering them. So that's a bit of a clue. So the other thing about rites of passage is that one leads to the next. So how we're born, I already talked about that, sets up how we birth things. But then it also can play out in our menarche, but the menarche leads to childbirth, like I mentioned, because the idea with childbirth is that... um, when you take menstrual shame to childbirth, which is what everybody's doing, then you don't trust your body. It's seen as an mm. inconvenient, unpredictable machine even. And that's not what how birth works. Yeah. You know? So then our menarch experience plays out in our birth, but and then everything comes out at menopause, as I said. <laughs> and then I presume... It all just lands in your lap when you die. But I don't know about that, but we'll see. So all of it would be preparation for death. So our rites of passage are what make us the next versions of ourselves, and they are the clues for how to hack the culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. It would be a miss for me to, I know this isn't a, a birthing podcast, so I'm not going to go into depth with my birthing stories, but I had uh, medical interventions with both of my births and I was in a very lucky position that I really needed them. So obviously um, it does go without saying there is a time and place for medical intervention. It's, um, you know, a lot of it, sometimes the choices are taken out of our hands and I think that's where a lot of the trauma can happen. Mm. Um, yeah, but I was very grateful to the medical help that I did receive and um, I definitely know I wouldn't be here if I didn't receive it. So yeah. there's so a time and place for it all. Yeah, um, absolutely. But it's gone such a long way down the medico sort of legal aspect that everything else uh, got forgotten about. So mm. yeah. it's so far down one end that it's so outweighed everything else. Yeah, Mm. exactly. And I don't want to disrespect doctors or hospitals at all. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, like you said, Laura, when you need it, we give great thanks. Yeah. Great Mm. thanks. But the problem is that there is so much unnecessary intervention. Yeah. And there's a thing called the cascade of intervention. Yes. That once you interfere, then you have to keep interfering. Yeah. And there's so much more to it than just the the medical aspect, you know, looking from exactly. the holistic way. So, mm. yeah, yeah, mm. it's all it's all fascinating. And I work in a hospital as well, so um, 
yeah, it's super tricky. <laughs> it's, it's super an, tricky. It's a tricky place to be, yeah. Mm. And more and more women during the pandemic across the world are going towards home births now because they realise that there's a difference in the power dynamic and that's the place where they have the power. Yep, yep. Mm. And yeah. the thing about birth is that the only way it works is it, is if the certain conditions that mammals require, right, because we're mammals, Mammals require certain conditions to give birth. Otherwise, they won't. And the primo thing is safety. Yeah. So, you know, if you don't feel safe, then labour stops. And that's behind when people say, oh, it's going so well at home, went to hospital and everything stopped. That's because the animal aspect of us is waiting to case the joint and make sure there's no <laughs> sabre-toothed tigers in the yeah. corner and all of that kind of thing. And so if we don't feel safe, we stop labour, or if we don't feel safe and we're not going to feel safe for a long time, then we quickly have the baby if we can and pick it up so we can pick it up and run. Stop, drop example. and run. Exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah. And there's two outrageous stories about that. Um, <clears throat> some years ago, I can't remember how long ago, but remember there was that big tsunami in Phuket? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yes. So a woman gave birth up a tree. Oh, wow. my gosh. Yeah. So, so her body must have realised this is the wow. safest we're going to get. And the baby <laughs> came out while she was in the tree. Oh, and then, my goodness. Yeah. And then another example is remember with all that terrible stuff that was going on in Afghanistan just recently when the Taliban came in and people were trying to get out of the country? Yeah. A woman, a woman got on. So it was really hard to get on the planes and yeah. I don't know if you remember all that. So yeah. there, a woman got on the plane and had a baby. Well, wow. Yeah. There's so as many soon as stories she was about labour happening when there's a heightened emotion and all of that, yeah. It's all interconnected, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> could so talk for hours on that. <laughs> oh, we could. We could, absolutely. So there's a word that's been thrown around a lot lately, uh, but I'm not sure if most people truly understand what it means, and that is the word sovereignty. So mm. can you please enlighten us on what it means to be sovereign? Well, from my perspective, what sovereign means is autonomous and that means free to decide, you know. Mm. So if we're talking about women, a sovereign woman is a woman unto herself, you know, and in the more traditional meaning like that incorporates the monarch, say, you know, like if you look up sovereignty in the dictionary, it doesn't take too far before you get to queens and kings and whatnot. So it's that aspect, it's the, it's the ruler of self, you know. So mm. to be sovereign is to be in the driver's seat of your life, like to be the one with the power. And what that looks like, like how we do that, because we have to because, you know, like how sovereign are we, whereas sovereign as the internalised patriarchy we have. So part of becoming sovereign women is the journey of dismantling the internalised patriarchy that we have adopted. You can, we can't not have, right? Yeah. So we each, we live in a patriarchy, but we have, it, have one on the inside. So all the misogyny, which means woman-hating, of the patriarchy, we have all internalised to, to some degree or other. So that is not sovereign. So part of the pathway to sovereignty is to dismantle our internalised patriarchy and bring ourselves into a state of autonomy where we're making our decisions 
based on the decisions and process that we want to choose to do that. And, you know, this is definitely coming up around vaccination, et cetera, yeah. for, for, for the pandemic. And, you know, I don't think if you choose to be vaccinated, I don't think that means you're not sovereign. I mm, think that's absolutely. the choice that you're making. And yeah. so I don't think that the only sovereign women now are unvaccinated because mm. they're making a choice that's different. So sovereignty is the ability to make choices and decisions within whatever situation you're in. Yeah, so that's what I would say. It's beautiful. Boss of self, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think traditionally wasn't the word virgin uh, meant sovereign Yes, uh, like yeah. a woman under her right. own as well, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. So that yeah. was particularly used to describe the goddesses, so mm-hmm. like Artemis and Hestia and I'm not going to necessarily remember the other one, but they're called, they were called virgin goddesses, meaning they were a woman unto themselves. They weren't defined by their relationship with anybody else. Vesta. Mm. Vesta, that's Vesta. the same as, as Hestia. Oh, yeah. Vesta's mm. the Roman, Hestia's the Greek. Mm. Love it. And I would love to ask you, is there a particular quote that resonates with you deeply and would you mind reading it to our listeners? And this can be from your own work or the work of someone that inspires you. Well, fortunately, you gave me the opportunity to think about this before. <laughs> She's so kind. I'd love to prepare. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so, you know, I racked my brain, I looked up some really witchy books and I went looking for something really witchy. And what I really came back to was an anonymous quote, mm-hmm. which is, which comes from the Native American people or the First Nations of Americas. And here it is. At Menarch, a girl meets her power. Mm. Through menstruation, she practices her power and at menopause, she becomes her power. Mm. I think Perfect. that's a good one. I think that's a wonderful one. <laughs> Love it. Thank you for sharing. I hadn't heard that one before. Mm, that's so good. Now, on the podcast, we also have a divine tool of the week each episode. And is there anything in particular that you love working with in ritual? Yeah. Okay. So... What I always do before, especially if I'm a bit nervous and I'm doing something like this or, um, you know, a ceremony with lots of people or starting something, I I call, so this is what I do, I, I call the goddess to speak to me and through me. Mm. And I do some hand movements and like a bit of a mudra with it where I write, take my hands up in the, air and like I'm gathering the energy of the earth and the and the cosmos and I pull it down into my body and I say I call the goddess to speak to me and through me and then then I just let go and trust and it's very helpful that'd be amazing (laughs) so try it it's really it works we'll do we will be doing that one for sure (laughs) And Jane, is there anything that you have brewing you would love to share with our podcast coven and how can everyone find your incredible work? Oh, thank you. So, um, well, yes, I've got some things brewing and um, soon I hope, I think I always like to use the birth analogy to describe where I'm at with the process. Mm -hmm. So 
I think we might be at the at the crowning, maybe not Ooh. yet, but nearly <laughs> crowning. You know, when, when you give birth vaginally and you're pushing the baby out, this thing happens where it comes forward and then it goes back and forward and back. <laughs> think, oh, no. Well, I think that's where I am, which is before crowning. <laughs> it's my, my next book. Is called yep. Blood Rites, The Spiritual Practice of Menstruation. Wow. And that's particularly witchy. Yeah. And there's lots of books out there now about menstrual cycle and stuff, which I'm really glad about. And this would be a real witchy version of that. So that's coming soon. I don't know when, but, you know, soon. Hopefully, <laughs> maybe even for the end of the year. But, you know, you can't. I've wow, learned can't about. rush r- these things. That's right. You can't rush birth. If you do, it just <laughs> ends up being a problem. So yeah. that. And the other thing is an, a big e-course that I've nearly finished creating with a lot of help from others, which is going to be basically the Four Seasons journey that we were talking about before, that content in an e-course because yeah. COVID has taught us that we've got to be able to share this information online and who knows whether I'll be able to or any of the other teachers are going to be able to travel around the world mm. anymore. I, I don't know, right? So we're preparing this e-course with the Four Seasons Journey content, and that's going to be called Earth Woman, and I'm very excited about that. And there's going to be a couple of ways you can do that. You can either buy the e-course and do it yourself, or you can do it guided by a teacher in a small group, so simulating oh, wow. the actual experience that we that we have in person. So that should be ready next year. Mm-hmm. And also I've got my own e-courses that I've made that are available on my website. There's each of those one-day workshops that I described, I've made an e-course for each of them. So there's a menopause one, a birth one, and a cycles one. The cycles one is called snake medicine, shedding menstrual shame. I love that. So that one. And also I've made one that's about healing after previous traumatic childbirth. So that those are my e-courses and there's also the other thing with the modality of shamanic womancraft. This time, these years over COVID, I've been doing lots of one-on-one sessions, private sessions with people, and mm-hmm. it's and now there are a bunch of other Four Seasons Journey School of Shamanic Womancraft teachers ready to provide that service as well. So that's something that we're bringing into the world as well. So my website is janehardwickcollings.com. And there's lots of things that I've written about, all kinds of things that I've talked about today and e-courses and my books that are there, uh, like on my website. And the School of Shamanic Womancraft has her own website under the same name, .com, schoolofshamanicwomancraft.com. And on social media, I'm there, Jane Hardwick Collings, and I share a lot of stuff on there, lots of um, truth alerts and waking the witches, truth bombs and stuff about pregnancy, birth, and menopause, and menstrual cycle. So I'm quite active on menstrual, on um, Instagram and Facebook with a lot of help from others as well. And, um, yeah, so so that's it, the website and social media. Incredible. And we'll pop all that information in our show notes attached to this page as well. Thanks, Lara. Wow. Oh, thank you so much for your time today. It has truly been incredible to speak with you and to pick your brains about all of these things and as I said I'm sure we'll have to get you back on again next year to delve further into these women's mysteries and yeah it would I just be know my honor and pleasure and I'm so grateful for the invitation to be here with you 
and with everybody else as we sit and and bubble in the cauldron together. <laughs> Absolutely. And cackle like witches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that happens oh, a lot. <laughs> it does. It does. Happens a whole lot on this podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Must be working then. It yes. Is, You've got to have fun. <laughs> you do. We had a wonderful chat with Jane and after we stopped recording, she very generously mentioned that she'll give us a link for our wonderful listeners to be able to download a free PDF version of her book called Her Story. Please see the link in the show notes of this episode for more details. See you next week. Bye.